Hello, TCC. Uh, where are the Mackies? I'm Allegra. I've been attending since 2011. And I'm Alex. I've been attending since 2021. This is our daughter, Memphis, and our son, Odin's not with us today. He's with his father this weekend. We'll be reading from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the, for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and that all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the, land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word, the word of, of the Lord. Lord. Good morning, Terwilliger Community Church. It's good to be together this morning. Well, a few years back, Disney Plus partnered with the, well, they bought Star Wars, I understand, and, and launched a new series um, called The Mandalorian. How many Mandalorian fans are there? Not very many. This isn't going to go well for me. That's okay. So The Mandalorian is a story of this, this bounty hunter who is crossing the galaxy, doing the things that he does. And in one of his missions, he comes across this little, this little creature. We call him Baby Yoda or the child. And the child has been captured. And so he frees the child and he decides he needs to get this child to his homeland. And throughout the series, we have the Mandalorian continually returning to the other Mandalorian people. And uh, this is like, I'm not a Star Wars guy, so let's... Uh, and he, he comes to the other Mandalorians, and they, they process together what's happening, and they, they decide together uh, the best way forward for this character, Mando. What is he going to do with the child? How is he going to go about the things that he's doing? And what I love in this series is this line that they have that recurs over and over again, where they, they have these conversations. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? They come to a conclusion, and they make this statement, this is the way. And the other Mandalorians say, this is the way. And, it, and it's this, this really neat thing. There's commentators on Star Wars, of course, and uh, they talk about how this phrase, this is the way, embodies what it means to be Mandalorian. If you are a Mandalorian, you weren't necessarily born a Mandalorian, but you become a Mandalorian by, by agreeing to the code, the transition, the traditions, and the ideals that the Mandalorians live by. 
you say, I'm going to live and walk the way of the Mandalorian. And it means that when you come across different decisions and things in your life that need to be made, you make your decisions according to that code. This is the way. Well, we are in a series titled The Way. And I think that this idea of there being a way out there for you and I to walk is something that really resonates to us as human beings. Because we're always looking for the best way forward, aren't we? Whether it's our hobbies, and we want to do well in something. How many of you watched the Berlin Marathon this morning? None of you, that's just me. Okay, Elud Elud Kipchoge going to win the, the Berlin Marathon. Um, he's won, I think, 16 out of 19 marathons that he's competed in. Uh, very fast. He won again this morning, though not breaking his own world record, but that's okay. But if I wanted to run like Eliud Kipchoge, I need to ask the question, what is the way that he trains? What is the way that he lives his life? And I would rightly seek to understand that and apply it to my own life. For all of us in our careers, the various workplaces we find ourselves in, whether we're a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or a trades worker, we might ask the question, what is the best way for me to engage in my work so that I can be successful in this? For those of you who are parents and grandparents, looking at these little people that the Lord has blessed you with, asking the question, what is the the best way for me to parent? What is the best way for me to grandparent? And we, we seek that out. For those of you who are in junior high and high school, looking around the halls of your, your, your schools, asking the question, what is the best way for me to fit in? What is the best way for me to go about my school career in a way that, that works out good for me? So we have this longing inside of us as people looking for direction. And underneath all of it, I think, is this desire that we have to be certain types of people. That if we walk in a certain way of life, it will produce the types of results that we want to experience. But how do we navigate this? How do we discover what that way is? Where do we go to find the way? Well, there's so much out there. There's so many, there's no end of articles that we could read. There's no end to opinions that we could collect from people. Even watching television or interacting with media, we are exposed to all sorts of different messages around this is the way that you could walk, or that is the way that you could walk. So many things are seeking to inform our lives. And I wonder if there isn't a longing inside of us as people that wish we could be a little bit more like the Mandalorians, where they aren't left to their own devices looking for the way that they should walk, but they know they're committed to a certain way of life. It's something they can always go back to, always lean on. But I think that is the truth for us. Because our maker, our creator, the one who loves us has shown us the way. He's given us the way and he invites us to walk in his way. He's revealed it to us. The way of God is revealed for us in the words of God. He's given us his word. He hasn't abandoned us. When we're looking for direction, when we're looking for hope and peace, when we're looking to know which way to go, the way of God is here for us to look at. We started this series a couple of weeks ago. We looked at Psalm chapter 1, which describes the blessed person. A person who's described to be like a tree planted by streams of water. 
and all that they do, they prosper. And we looked at how that person is characterized by the fact that they've chosen not to walk in one way, but instead are walking in the ways of God. And so in this series, we want to ask the question, okay, what is the ways of God? And we want to use the Ten Commandments as a bit of a springboard for us to jump into uh, various themes within Scripture that speak to the way in which you and I are, were created by God to walk, the path that we were meant to take. Now, when we talk about the Ten Commandments in, in this day and age, there might be some, some reservations that come up in us. When we live in a post-truth culture, people might say the Ten Commandments are oppressive, aren't they? They're limiting. You can't tell me how to live my life. They're irrelevant. We don't need them anymore. Or maybe if you're in the church, you hear the Ten Commandments read and your reaction is, well, it's just works-based righteousness. I, I, I don't need to hold to those in the same way that maybe I would have before Jesus, but, you know, Jesus has freed me. I don't need that anymore. And so we look at the Ten Commandments and we might scratch our heads a bit of, well, are they relevant? How are they relevant? And through this series, I want us to not only see the relevancy of them, but to see how they invite us into abundant life. And where our culture might look at a list of rules and call it oppressive or limiting, I want to speak this morning to this idea that the way of God is actually a way of freedom. And then when we look at something like the Ten Commandments, we're not invited into a life of oppression or a life of limitation, but we're actually invited into a life of freedom. Now this idea comes to us right at the beginning of the Ten Commandments that were read so well for us this morning. If you have in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke these words. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And it goes on to give this first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You should have no other gods before me. Now this first commandment right away recognizes this impulse for a way that we all have inside of us. Every single one of us desire to to know the way that we're supposed to go. We want to understand direction. Every single one of us give our lives to a certain way of life. Every single one of us worship something. A modern author and uh, philosopher, the late David Foster Wallace, who to my knowledge wasn't actually a Christian, um, is famously quoted as saying this, that in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. So right away in this first commandment, you know, David Foster Wallace picks up on this idea. God is calling for our worship and our allegiance. He's calling us to turn our attention and our focus to his ways. Which recognizes the reality that you and I are faced with all sorts of options and opportunities to different kinds of ways. Now, when we think about this and read this in the Ten Commandments, we think, well, have other gods before you? Like, what what on earth does that mean? Because in North America, we don't have formal temples set up as the way that they might have um, in the first and second centuries. Uh, We don't have a pantheon of gods cataloged for us to call upon based on our perceived needs. 
But the worship of other gods is very much alive. And that's what David Foster Wallace is getting at. In this speech, he goes on to identify gods of money, possessions, gods that might be our image, this desire to look a certain way, the gods of power, the gods of intellect, each one of these calling to our hearts and inviting us to a certain way of life. Martin Luther said that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe that, trust and believe in that one with your whole heart. You lay hold of God when your heart grasps him and clings to him. So there's these things that invite us to a certain way. If we're not careful, they can become types of gods to us. They all invite us to a way of life. If our God is money or possessions, then we live a way of life where we're just always trying to accumulate more. I just need one more dollar. I just need, I just need that extra stuff in my house. Once I have these things, then I will be happy. Then I will be secure. And our life, the way we live, reflects all of that thinking. If we worship our image, we become walking on a way of life where it is obsessed with perfecting that image. If only I can appear and look this way, then I will feel that happy, then I will feel at peace. If we worship power, our life becomes about eliminating our weaknesses. We seek to find our weaknesses and get rid of them and push anyone out of our way who might be questioning our authority. If we worship comfort or pleasure, our lives become about experience. And we go one thing to the next, hoping to satisfy that longing inside of us to feel a certain way. If we worship our intellect, our lives become about knowledge and we seek to to know more than anybody else in the room and our life is about discovering more information as it comes, being the smartest person that it is, a certain way of life. Now all of these things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when one of these things displaces God, It can lead to bondage. It can lead to bondage. And friends, God wants to free us from the bondage of these lesser gods by inviting us into a way of life that we have been designed for. It's a way of loving God and loving others. A way of loving God and loving others. And so he invites us into this. He says, have no other gods before me. And in that invitation, he's inviting us to walk his way of life. And when we walk the way of life, something like money is no longer a God, but we see it for the good that it is. A means to function in the world, but also a means in which we can be generous and help those in need. When we're walking in the way of God, our image is no longer something we're trying to perfect But we embrace our vulnerabilities. We recognize that that there is a God in heaven who loves us and he sees all of our imperfections. So we can be vulnerable before him and before other people and invite them also to be vulnerable. When we're walking in the way of God, we don't see power as a way to elevate ourselves to become something better, but we see it as a tool in which we can use it to reach out to those in need and elevate those who've been pushed to the sidelines and cast down. 
When we worship God and walk in his way, comfort and pleasure is no longer a means within itself, but it is a way in which we celebrate and worship the good God who has given us good things. When we worship God, our intellect is not about puffing ourselves out up and being the smartest person in the room, but it becomes a means by which we can learn and grow to become more like Jesus and use our education to be a blessing to others. Because here's the contrast. All these other gods, they end up leading to bondage. You know, it's interesting when people say, I want to live autonomously. I I don't want God. I don't want rules. I don't want that way of life. I just want to do the things that I want to do. It actually doesn't work because you end up living enslaved to these other things. If money is your God, you will never possess enough. If image is your God, you will never look perfect enough. If power is your God, you will never eliminate all your weaknesses. If comfort and pleasure is your God, you're likely going to end up in addiction. And if intellect is your God, you will never know enough. And in living for these things, you find yourselves on this hamster wheel trying to accumulate and have these things and serve these things and experience a certain way of life, but it's just not happening for you. Now you're in bondage. But God comes and he invites us to a way of life, freeing us from the bondage of those lesser gods and inviting us into his way. And what is that way? Well, the way of freedom is a life of allegiance to God. The way of freedom is a life of allegiance to God. Friends, our lives are purposed for relationship. Worship and allegiance to Jesus. And this first commandment is set up as a way to protect us from giving ourselves to lesser gods. The first commandment calls for our allegiance and devotion to Yahweh because he's saying, if if you live in allegiance to these other things, it's not going to satisfy you. You weren't made for these other things. So I'm commanding you, have no other gods before me. Why? Because I love you. Because I created you. Because I know how you're going to flourish in life. And if you walk in my ways, you will experience that flourishing. If you walk in these other ways, it's going to lead to bondage. So this first commandment protects us, inviting us to give ourselves straight to God. And it's explicit. Have no other gods before me. One scholar talks about how there's actually four options in translating this word. He says one is to say you should have no other gods in front of God, which is to say to take his place as first loyalty. The second is that you should have no other gods alongside God, that he should not be one among many. The third is that you should have no other God take the place of God, which is to say fully replacing Yahweh. And the fourth is to say you should have no other gods against Yahweh, which is to say have one that is opposing him. Now, all four of these translations are possible. um, And all four of these translations actually work as a, a commentary on the big idea to this. The first commandment is calling us to undivided allegiance. That we would have no other God in front, alongside, in the place of, or against the God who created us, Yahweh. The God who has revealed himself to us in his word. Our life with God is not meant to be a life of both and. Where we have God 
and enjoy him for the spiritual parts of our lives, but we reject him when it comes to everything else. So this first commandment is trying to call us into a life of undivided allegiance. There was a story of a, a little boy at recess time. And him and his classmates, they're out playing soccer in the field and they're having a great game. And, and one team's just doing really, really good, crushing the other team. And the teacher's looking at this and the, the recess bell goes off and she walks over to the kids playing soccer. Okay, guys, recess is over, but next goal wins. So the reason that the one team was crushing the other was that there was a little boy on that team who was better than everyone else. And this little boy loved playing soccer. And so he started playing for both teams. And so when his team was on offense, they'd move the ball down to the end. And then when it got close to scoring, he'd switch sides and start playing defense and bring the ball up the other end. Well, the teacher's watching this. She's like, what's going on? Why are you doing this? He says, well, teacher, you said that the next game, next goal wins the game and then recess is over. But if I play on both teams, the game keeps going and recess won't end. (laughs) Smart kid. (laughs) In playing for both teams, this little boy actually missed out what the game was all about. He wasn't actually really playing soccer anymore, was he? He had a divided allegiance. James, the book of James talks about this whole idea of having a divided heart. Where we pray and ask God for one thing, but do that with doubt in our hearts. And James says that that person is is like a wave tossed in the sea, unstable in all that he does. And friends, I can't help but wonder if so many of us who feel like we're disappointed with God, that God isn't delivering on his promise of my life flourishing the way that I think that it should, if we're not wrestling with those feelings simply because we have a divided heart. I can't help but wonder if this divided heart keeps us from actually experiencing the good life that Jesus has for us. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But let's be honest. How many of us Live life trying to serve both God and something else. I know I do it. I see it in my own life. But it keeps us from experiencing the goodness that God has for us. Because we're failing to keep that first commandment. Jesus goes on in the Gospels to be asked the question of what is the greatest commandment. What's his answer? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Is that not just a rewording of this first commandment? That we should have no other gods before the God who made us and the God who loves us. Now this can sound like a lot. Wait, wait, wait. Wholehearted allegiance to God? My everything just to him? Not one among many? My wholehearted allegiance to God? Like my whole life, everything about me? Yeah. That's what he's asking for. But friends, this allegiance and worship is given to the Lord who is unfathomably worthy and who loves us completely. 
We can give ourselves to God wholeheartedly because he's worthy of our trust. Because he loves us. You know, the story of Exodus, the context in which we find the Ten Commandments, it's a pretty remarkable story. The people of Israel are living as slaves in Egypt. They have no freedom. They're being called to work and perform tasks that they really shouldn't be because it's just so demanding upon them. And they cry out to God in the midst of this. And God responds and he delivers them. And something that is so cool about the, the deliverance story of the Israelites is that part of that deliverance story was that there was, there was ten plagues that came upon Egypt. Did you know that each one of those plagues was pushing up, and up against one of the Egyptian gods of the day? The plagues were the systematic casting down of the Egyptian gods. God was declaring to the Egyptians and to his people that those other gods had nothing on him. That he was the one who was all-powerful. That he was the one who could do immeasurably more than they could ever imagine. And as the narrative goes on, we watch God perform miracle after miracle. We see his greatness demonstrated. The life of Jesus is this ongoing testimony to the greatness of God. That he is an author of life and death. That he can bring healing and light and life, that he sees the broken and responds to them, that he cares for the oppressed, that he is good and great. Isaiah chapter 6, we read about the throne room of heaven where angels are calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is good. He is worthy of our worship. And it's the same God who's worthy of our worship that is inviting us, he's inviting us to live life with him because he loves us. This is the story of the gospel. God sees us in our need and our brokenness and he responds. Now as we journey through the Ten Commandments, it's really important for us to realize this context. Because it's often we look at the, the Ten Commandments and we might think that oh, for me to be in relationship with God, I have to keep these Ten Commandments. That the, the keeping of the law is the means by which I'm in relationship. That's a poor understanding of the Ten Commandments. Because the Israelites are already in relationship with God. He's already delivered them from Egypt. He's already brought them out of slavery. He's already demonstrated His love to them. And it's in that context He gives them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not a means by which we enter into relationship with God. They're a means by which we experience relationship with God. So he moves towards us in love, in our brokenness. I don't know how many of you are reading Mark with us. In the, as, as a congregation, we're going through the gospel of Mark, just a chapter a week. I love in Mark chapter 2 the picture of Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And, and the, he was rightly despised by the Israelites. He's like sitting in this place of sin, taking advantage of, the, of people who are broken, taking advantage of people who are oppressed. And Jesus sees Matthew in that place of sin, kind of just doing life his own way. And Jesus comes to him in that place. And he comes to him and he invites him to come and follow him. Matthew, come and follow me. 
Friends, that's the God who loves us, who comes to us in our brokenness, who comes to us in our weakness. He's inviting us to this way of life because He loves us. And friends, as we walk in His way, committed to following Jesus, we enter into the life that we were made for. We experience a deep relationship with God and we find contentment and peace and resourcing for our engagement in our work and our relationships. This first commandment ends up setting up all the rest for us. Because if we keep up this one commandment with perfection, to have undivided loyalty to the God who loves us and made us, we would never break any of the other ones. So do you hear this invitation this morning to walk in his way? The way of Jesus is a way of freedom. It's experienced as we give our allegiance and worship to the God who loves us. So what do we do with this first commandment? Like first we need to respond in worship. God is so worthy of our worship. But worship is so much more than just what we do on a Sunday morning when we sing for 15 minutes. And you all sounded beautiful this morning singing these songs. But that practice of turning our attention to Jesus, of declaring who he is and that he is worthy of our trust, he is worthy of our allegiance, we need to carry that practice with us throughout the week. Maybe you listen to worship in your, in your vehicle as you drive to work. Maybe you have it playing in your house. Maybe you, you use, in, in your devotional time in the morning, use music or something as a way to orient your hearts before the Lord. But turn your thoughts to Jesus in thanksgiving and adoration. Make worship a daily practice, a constant practice that reminds us of who loves us and who we are living for. We have to respond in worship. I think the other thing we need to take from this is that we need to become aware of our everyday expressions of worship and devotion in our lives. We need to pay attention to our current practices, our current habits and our behaviors. What is the way you're currently walking? Again, the first commandment assumes that you're being invited to all sorts of ways of life. And when we think about our devotion to Jesus, we rightly ask the question of, of, of Lord, is, are there other things I'm devoted to? Are there other expressions of worship coming out of me? So I want to encourage you this week, at the end of each day, just to find time to pause and reflect on how you spent that day. What did you notice that was motivating you? Was it gods of wealth or power, appearance or accumulation, intellect, experience or pleasure? Were there things motivating you and and pushing your decisions ahead that aren't necessarily consistent with the way of Jesus? Another good question to ask yourself was, did I do something deliberately wrong today? Did 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 I do something that I knew was wrong? And if the answer is yes, ask the question, what motivated that behavior? Why did I do that thing wrong? I think we rightly reflect daily on on the way that we go about our lives and seek to bring our lives in alignment with God's way, which leads to this next practice of confession and repentance. So when we reflect on our day 
and we see areas in our lives that are maybe out, out of step with the way of Jesus, we just bring those before him. We say we're sorry. We ask for forgiveness. And we ask to see our temptation towards a divided heart from God's perspective. You know, I think that this invitation to a divided heart is, is very difficult for us because fears and anxieties that take our eyes off Jesus are, are very real. And so for many of us, as we recognize these things, as we recognize this divided loyalty, we need to bring it to Jesus. And say, say Jesus, I'm struggling with this whole thing because I, I feel really not good about my finances. I feel really stressed about this. I just, I, this need to accumulate more makes a lot of sense to me. W- will you help me with this? I think so often we see the dividedness of our hearts and we just say, oh, you know, just the way that it is. I'm not a bad Christian. I'm not a bad person. It's okay. I'll worship God and this other thing. But remember, Jesus says that it doesn't work. So when we see these inconsistencies in our lives, we need to bring it before God. And we need to remember that he sees us in that place. He already knows that we're struggling with it. And we just confess it to him. We bring it to him. We recognize that this is a journey and that Jesus is walking with us in this way. And the next part of this, the second half, is the practice of repentance. Now, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Rather, repentance is a turning of 180 degrees. So it's it's recognizing, okay, I'm walking, I'm not walking in God's way. Repentance is turning and choosing to walk in his way. So we need to identify and pursue practices that direct our love towards Jesus. Find practices that direct our love towards Jesus. Some of these are so simple, we talk about them all the time. It's the importance of of saturating our hearts in the Word of God, of taking time to pray, of spending time in Christian community. It's recognizing the impulses we have, even with something like social media, where we just get caught up in the mindless scrolling. And we just feel this thing about our own image rising up. Well, ugh, maybe if I had this, maybe if I looked this way, maybe if I was, you know. And this, this God of image starts creeping up on us. It's saying, wait, no God. I confess to this desire I'm having to, to pursue this thing. But my repentance, I'm going to take this social media, I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to turn off my phone and turn my attention to your word. That is an activity of repentance. So friends, I hope you hear in this first commandment the invitation to freedom. To have no other gods before Yahweh. The God who loves you. Who created you. This is the way. Will you walk in it? I'm just going to invite the worship team to join me on the platform. I just encourage you to take a prayerful posture. I just want to give us space to ask Jesus just to take this first commandment to have no other gods before him and just to write it on our hearts. So in the quiet of this moment, Father God, we thank you so much 
for your invitation to abundant life. We thank you that you created us and you see our need and you respond to it in love. And so, Lord, in the quiet of this moment, we just, we take time to reflect on the ways that maybe we don't trust you, on the ways that we have chosen our way or another way over and above yours. Just ask the Holy Spirit just to open your eyes to see the ways that you're tempted to walk in other ways. And Father, as we confess these to you, we pray that your Holy Spirit will just open our eyes to see your way your invitation. Lord, help us to see and know the invitation to abundant life that you have for us. God, speak to each one of us of what that looks like. Give us a glimpse of walking in your way. And Jesus, we recognize that you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our affection. So Lord, even in this time of response, we just want to lift up our hearts to you in in worship and praise. Because you are worthy of it all. We crown you Lord of all.